Hi, guys, and thanks for listening to the Bull Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Rawlings. It's been a minute since we've studied a chapter of Esther, and I really apologize for the inconsistency. I'm doing a few things to work on that, and in this episode, we are going to jump straight into Esther chapter 7. Before we begin, I want to mention something. We are able to continue podcast episodes like this because of listeners like you who donate to our Patreon. If you like what you hear, would you consider becoming a partner of the Bold Movement? Our plans range from a dollar a month to $50 a month with exciting incentives for growing Christian women. Just visit www.patreon.com forward slash the Bold Movement. If you are new to our podcast, howdy, I'm so glad you found us. Here's how we work. We will read a verse or two of scripture, and then we stop to discuss what it means. With that being said, get ready, get set, let's study. Welcome to the Bold Movement Podcast. Every Thursday, you can expect an exegetical approach to scripture as you're led verse by verse through the real stories in the Bible. You can find all episodes of the Bold Movement Podcast for free on iTunes and Spotify. And every Monday, make sure to check out Bold Is. This week, join Meg as she teaches you God's Word and discover why, to this day, it's still as relevant and significant as it was then. Are you ready to be bold? Here's your host, Megan Rollins. Today, we are reading from the New International Version, commonly referred to as the NIV. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked, again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Now remember, this is the third time that the king has asked Esther what her request is. Okay, keep that in mind. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life with this is my petition, and spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet. But no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Esther was so strategic here, it's insane. Karen Job says Esther quotes the exact words of Haman's edict, but by using the passive voice, she delays mentioning Haman's name or the fact that it was the king himself who sold the Jewish people for 10,000 talents of silver. This oblique tactic is not unlike that used by Nathan the prophet when confronting David with his sin in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan circumvented David's defense mechanisms by first arousing David's indignation and resolve to see justice done before revealing that David himself was the evil man. And just so you guys know, this is referring to David and Bathsheba when he had her husband, Uriah, sent to the front lines and killed. The same tactic works for Esther and Xerxes. Indignation and anger erupt with the demand that she tell him who is he and where is the man which we'll get to in just a second. Apparently, the death edict has made so little an impression on the king that Esther's quotation of it does not even ring a bell. Also, take note that he said that she said, for I and my people have been sold, which emphasizes the financial gain that was had through this edict. Okay, verse five. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, the adversary and enemy is this vile Haman. 
Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Okay, I want to pause there for a second. This is one of those parts in scripture where the English translation does not do justice to the original language. This is in the Old Testament, so it was written in Hebrew. And in the Hebrew, the king's indignation is not wasted. Karen Job says his words sound like machine gun fire when pronounced aloud. She continues, the emotion and anger of Esther's reply are also lost in the bland English translation. In the Hebrew, her words ring out with staccato cadence. Esther answers both the who and the where with her su- uh, su- <laughs> succinct. Every time I see that word, I want to say succession, and that is not the word. With her succinct accusation, a man hateful and hostile, this wicked Haman, which is the present translation. Now, keep in mind that the king did not know that Esther was a Jew until this moment. You can imagine his shock of all this information hitting him all at once. I believe this is what stirred up the anger to the nth degree because he felt tricked into killing his wife and her entire people, all of the nation of Israel. Let's continue on with verse 7. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Joyce Baldwin said the king's departure enabled Haman the opportunist to make one last bid for an escape from his alarming danger. Having estimated that he stood no chance of mercy from the king, he decided to beg for his life from one whose life he had threatened and from a member of the Jewish race, which he had scorned. But had she not chosen to request his company, and might she not soften towards him? In the momentary relief of tension caused by the king's departure, he would turn his charm on the queen. The irony is evident. Verse 8. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as, she, as soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Haman realized he messed up and in a big way. And I want to explain real quick some cultural aspects that will help put this scenario into focus. <laughs> put this scenario <laughs> into focus. The king left in a fit of rage and the protocol of the palace stated that the harem was protected and only the king could be left alone with a woman of the said harem, right? That being said, we now understand that in any other circumstance, Haman would have left with the king. However, this case is life and death, so Haman implores Esther to help him. Another thing I want to note is that in this culture, it was customary to eat by reclining at the table. So Esther would have still been reclined, and so for Haman to fall on the couch where she was was wildly inappropriate. At that point, whether she wanted to help him or not was irrelevant. The king saw everything, which sealed his fate. Verse 9, then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A gallows 75 feet high stands by Haman's house. He had it made for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows. He had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. Joyce Baldwin notes, Once again, the king needs to be told what is common knowledge among the palace staff, and Harbona reveals the candid opinion of Haman current among the king's eunuchs, which, when he draws attention to the gallows prepared for the execution of the man responsible for saving the king's life. The king took up the implied suggestion, and there is a certain irony in the exact outworking of justice. Haman was hoist with his own petard. 
Thank you so much for studying the Book of Esther with me. The Bold Movement is an online women's ministry dedicated to teaching women how to handle the Word of God. I'll be back next week where we will dive into Esther chapter 8. This is just a quick reminder that you can partner with us through our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the bold movement. Okay, ladies, until next time, go out and be bold.